guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. So as you can tell, today's episode's a little bit different. Typically, our episodes come out first thing in the morning because we record them um, earlier. We record them the day before. But because there's so much breaking news and I want to give you the most relevant analysis possible, it's necessary for us to record these episodes day of and then for them to come out later in the day. I'm sorry if that causes any inconvenience. We will get back to our regularly scheduled programming uh, pretty soon. Today, we are going to talk about the latest in the election. We are going to interview um, a Trump administration lawyer, Jenna Ellis. She's going to tell us about the fraud allegations and the litigation process, what we can expect over the next few weeks. We're also going to talk some theology. We're going to talk about God's sovereign will versus his moral will, how he sets up kings, removes kings, and how Christians should react and what we should be doing in all of this. And as we face the potential of uh, a new president, and then we're going to talk about some of the reaction to uh, the election and uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris being projected as the new president and a vice president and the call to unity and whether or not that is possible. So we've got a jam-packed episode for today. But first, let's talk to Jenna Ellis. Jenna, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Allie. This is a really important time for our nation. Yes, it is. Can you tell everyone who might not know who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you. So I'm the senior legal advisor to the Trump 2020 campaign and also a personal attorney to President Donald Trump. And so uh, throughout the campaign, of course, I've been advising on uh, the legal and um, now moving forward into the post-election season. Of course, uh, we are looking at election integrity issues. Uh, My background, of course, is in constitutional law and litigation. And I'm also a senior fellow with uh, the Falkirk Center at Liberty University, of course, um, where you and I, Allie, got to meet uh, a few weeks ago. So that was really exciting as well. Yes. Can you tell everyone about this, uh, the election integrity issues that we're going through right now? Because what we keep hearing over and over again is that there's no evidence of fraud and that there's no reason for us not to just accept Joe Biden as the president elect. Can you kind of go through some of the allegations of fraud that you guys are seeing in different states? Yeah. So first, from a top level perspective, what people have to understand is that our system uh, in the U.S. Constitution is for free and fair elections. We, the people, get to select and prefer who our leaders are. And that has been a principle since the founding of our country. And so what happens is that when we vote, then, of course, uh, once those uh, votes are tallied legally correctly, uh, states then have to certify the vote tally. And then uh, then that's when the slates of delegates for the Electoral College are actually chosen by the state legislatures, who then will cast their vote for the Electoral College um, this year on uh, December 8th. And then that actually is how we get to the election of the president of the United States. So what's happened in our election this year is that we don't actually know uh, the, the certifications and how the tallies are are uh, tabulated in at least five different states. And so what the mainstream media has done is just projected that Joe Biden is the winner. They have just allocated uh, over 270, which of course is the mark uh, that's needed of the Electoral College to Joe Biden. And they're calling him president-elect. But it's important to remember that no state yet has actually certified their results. And particularly when we're looking at 
these critical five states, which are Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. Uh, those states, of course, all together have a significant value of electoral votes. And we have recounts that will happen uh, likely in, uh, for sure, actually, in Pennsylvania and Georgia. And then Michigan, uh, we're hearing reports this morning that uh, their legislature has actually opened an investigation of fraud in that state. Uh, Arizona is a razor thin margin of these vote tallies. And we're also seeing in Pennsylvania, of course, that the process did not occur according to the state law. And so what's happened in Pennsylvania is that the state legislature has never acted to change the law to allow for late votes to be counted. And so anything that came in and was received past 7 p.m. on election day, November 3rd, the state law says those votes cannot legally be counted. And so when you actually tally the votes, uh, that state should properly go to President Trump. That's 20 electoral votes. So, uh, so what our lawsuits are challenging broadly is to make sure that every legal vote is counted fairly and accurately, any illegal vote, uh, duplicative, dead people voting, non-residents voting, late ballots, spoiled ballots, um, any illegal ballots, anything that it should not properly under the law be counted should be excluded. And then any of these processes have to happen according to state law. And so, Ali, just like we saw in 2000 with the presidential election between George W. Bush and Al Gore, there was only one state in question then, the state of Florida. There was a recount, how exactly that recount happened and what ballots were counted legally versus illegally. Those That issue went before the United States Supreme Court. And then ultimately, um, even though the media was projecting Al Gore to be the winner, it the the final vote tally ended up that George W. Bush became our 43rd president. So uh, this is why it really matters to make sure that the process and the vote tally is done according to the law and that nobody rushes uh, into projections and that we make sure that every vote is legally and fairly counted. The other question that I get all the time is, well, why is the Supreme Court uh, going to substitute its judgment and uh, for the will of the American people? We've spoken. The Supreme Court shouldn't intervene. That's not accurate. The Supreme Court does not decide for the people. The Supreme Court fairly and appropriately applies the U.S. Right. Constitution right. and makes sure that the states go according to their own law. And then we can get to an accurate count. Right. Okay. And right. you talked about uh, some of those allegations, make sure that there's not dead people voting, making sure that everyone who voted was actually eligible to vote and, of course, alive. Now, a lot of the pushback that people have been giving to that is, well, do you have any evidence of that at all? So uh, do you guys have evidence of potential potential fraud in that way? Absolutely. And actually, I left out the sixth state of Nevada. So um, there's there's actually six states and uh, Nevada is one where there are allegations uh, that we have of uh, nearing 4,000 ballots that are in question of either non-residents, of uh, of people who are deceased who have voted. And of course, you know, as a, as a non-resident, you have to make sure that you qualify in the state in order to cast a ballot. 
So, so yes, what the mainstream media is trying to do is manipulate uh, the narrative. And they're now trying to say, well, no meaning or no meaningful and widespread fraud has occurred. And what they're acknowledging tacitly is that they know that fraud has occurred and they're just wanting to move the mark higher and higher to say, oh, well, there's not enough fraud. There's not enough fraud. But when you look at uh, all of the widespread fraud, you look at the glitches in the computer system that right. we know that at least 6,000 votes in Michigan that should have gone to President Trump uh, were suddenly moved for Joe Biden. That creates a margin of 12,000 votes. And that's just in one instance that we know of. So all of these things are being discovered. We do have evidence of systematic fraud. All of these things have to be litigated in court. And this is outcome determinative because we're talking about the electoral count of six different states, which altogether, of course, would be outcome determinative. And I think a way that the media is also trying to kind of manipulate the narrative is by asking this question, where's your evidence? Where's your evidence? Well, you guys are going through the legal process to try to prove that. And you are are leaving it up to the courts to be able to decide if this is substantive, valid evidence and how pervasive it is. And so you guys aren't trying to change the results of the election just by going out and saying there's fraud, there's fraud, there's fraud. You guys are going through patiently and rightly the legal process to try to figure out if this fraud exists, how pervasive it is. And then, of course, in the end, if it's decisive enough uh, for uh, to change the outcome of the of the election, you guys aren't even asserting that it will change the outcome. All you're asserting is that, look, we need to look out for the integrity of our elections. We're going to go through the legal process to ensure that that happens. And whatever happens, happens. Is that a correct description? Absolutely. And that's a really important point, Allie, that this isn't just about litigating until we change the outcome. Um, We're not doing what Joe Biden is doing, which is let's count every vote until we win, which is basically what he's asserting. And we're also not litigating in the court of public opinion. Uh, We're not putting the evidence out there just so that, you know, a political pundit on uh, you know the mainstream media can decide whether they think the evidence is credible according to whatever standard they prefer. The court of public opinion here isn't what's relevant and what is the arbiter of the outcome here. What matters is what's shown in court and the relevance and uh, the proof that we provide in court. So that's why we're litigating. And uh, so that's actually a really excellent point that you raise as well. And what's the timeline for this? I mean, at, at what point are are people going to kind of know how the litigation ends up? Yeah, and that's also a great question. And, you know, if we look back at 2000, uh, between Election Day, which was November 7th of 2000, uh, till December 12th was actually when the Supreme Court issued their opinion. Um, And so that was a 36-day window, and that was just over one state on one fairly narrow issue. So, of course, everyone wants this done as expeditiously as possible. Um, It's really going to depend on the the quickness of the courts in the states Mm -hmm. uh, to, to make rulings and then ultimately likely the Supreme Court. So um, this could take another couple of weeks. But um, in terms of the constitutional time frame, December 8th right now is when states have to uh, slate their electors. And uh, we may not know at that point in time. So we're just going to have to wait and make sure that this process is completed. And it's really up to the judicial branch to make sure that this is done um, as quickly as possible while, of course, still being accurate. Yes. And honestly, that should be 
nonpartisan. No matter what the outcome is of the election, no matter who you voted for, we should all care about the integrity of the process, whether it's uh, this election, the midterms, or 2024. I mean, what you guys are doing, hopefully, is going to have long-lasting positive effects on our process so that uh, the people in this election process in the states understand that people are watching and we are going to hold this process accountable. So thank you guys for the hard work that you're doing. I know that you are probably running on little sleep. Hopefully you've still got that adrenaline going. Um, Is there anything that uh, listeners can do to to support you, to to follow you, whatever your last words are for my audience, please let them know. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate, Ali, how much you uh, lift up the president and this country in prayer. And I would just say the biggest thing, obviously, that we can all do is to pray that uh, the court system would make the right decisions, that we would get to a legitimate and accurate count. Uh, that is what's important, not just to the outcome of this election, but to every future election. We want to make sure to preserve and protect our constitutional process. And when you know we're denied meaningful access, uh, for example, to actually look and watch the ballots being counted. That's so significant because we then don't know whether there have been manipulated ballots, ballots thrown away, ballots changed. Um, All of those things uh, are really important to establish that everyone has to follow the rules, that transparency matters, and that the outcome of this election uh, will be preserved, but also that we preserve precedent for future elections. So um, you can support us, of course. Um, Go to DonaldJTrump.com. That's the only website for um, all of our media, um, as well as uh, our legal fund. Um, Of course, pray. And then you can follow all of us, um, myself included, on uh, Twitter, social media, Parler, um, and then just make sure that you don't take any of the mainstream media's narrative. Make sure that you are checking that against uh, the accurate statements that we're providing. And um, I would say go to Team Trump and make sure that uh, you are getting the most accurate information, not just believing the media. Thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Ali. Okay, guys, before we get to the rest of the episode, let me tell you about Operation Christmas Child. It's a project of Christian International uh, Relief Organization, Samaritan's Purse. It's the world's largest Christmas project of its kind. If you grew up in the church or you've been going to church for any amount of time, you know what Operation Christmas Child is. You take a shoebox and you fill it with different um, non-perishable items that a child would want. You can pick uh, on the label, you can pick the age, range of the child that you would like to get this gift to and you get gifts according to that age group and that gender and then you drop it off at a drop-off location which can be found at samaritanspurse.org slash occ and um, they deliver that to a child in need. We're doing it this year. I'm going to drop off my box at my church this weekend. We had fun going to Target and filling it up, uh, filling the box up with, you know, little stuffed animals, with a T-shirt that goes with the gender and the age range. You can do stickers, coloring books, toys, all kinds of good stuff. If you want more information on how you can do this, which I highly recommend that you do this Christmas season, just go to Samaritan. 
samaritanspurse.org slash OCC. They'll tell you how to get a box, how to fill up a box, where to drop it off. Uh, National Collection Week is November 16th through 23rd, so that's next week. So go ahead and get your box this week as soon as you can so you can drop it off next week and help a child in need. Okay, back to the show. Okay, guys, so that is, that's where we are. Um, Like I said, the media is saying, show us the evidence, show us the evidence. Well, that's exactly what they plan to do in the court of law. I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to litigate this if they don't feel like they have substantive evidence. That's just not how it goes. I mean, there appear to be 21,000 dead people on the Pennsylvania voter rolls. They are going to uh, be discussing that. Justice Samuel Alito has already ordered that the ballots in Pennsylvania that were received after Election Day must be segregated. They have to be set aside. And from what I read, they actually ignored that court order. And so there are problems in Pennsylvania that they just want to be made sure are figured out before they officially say, OK, Okay, this is the result of the election. Uh, there are problems in Nevada, as she said. There are potential problems in Wisconsin and potential problems in Michigan as well. Apparently, there was a software glitch uh, that caused 6,000 votes to be flipped from Trump to Biden. And the same software was used in 47 of the 83 counties in Michigan, allegedly. And so there are a lot of allegations. Whether or not the evidence holds up, that is yet to be seen. We just don't know that. It would be amazing if we had a mainstream media who had some intellectual curiosity, some journalistic curiosity, and would look a little bit more into these things rather than saying, no, 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 this is impossible. There's no way that any of this happened. If there are allegations of fraud, and if any of them are credible whatsoever, then they should be looked into. Now, there are some journalists, especially on Twitter, who have, and some allegations of fraud, some videos that kind of look sketchy, have been very easily discounted. And so we have to be very careful um, that we are not purposely sharing misinformation and that we make sure that we look into all of these claims ourselves before spreading them. For example, I saw, um, I've seen videos that some of you have sent to me of people filling what it looks like they're filling out ballots. And if you see that, you might think, oh my gosh, they're filling out ballots exactly how they want them to. And then they're counting those ballots. That is fraud. Well, yes, that would be fraud if that's what is that if that's what was going on, but you can see that the person sitting across from them is actually reading from a ballot that's already filled out, telling the person across from them how to fill out the ballot. So we don't know exactly what's happening there, but I know that in Texas, for example, that some mail-in ballots were unreadable, or if the scanner doesn't work, the software doesn't work, um, for a set of ballots, then you might have to actually replicate those ballots and rescan them. That happened in Dallas County in Texas. And so that does happen. My guess is that is what is going on there. They certainly didn't look like they were hiding what they were doing. It's hard to tell what's going on because everyone is wearing masks. Uh, but the fact that someone was reading the ballot to someone else rather than just one person replicating the ballot shows that there actually was some accountability there. And so we can't just share every video that looks sketchy and say, this is evidence of fraud. And certainly that's not what the Trump administration, the Trump campaign is going to do. They're going to have to have substantive evidence if they want to have any kind of chance in court. And that might not change the outcome. Now, if it does change the outcome, I cannot even imagine the meltdown. I cannot imagine 
the meltdown because I'll talk about more of this on Wednesday, but a lot of what we're experiencing right now, thanks to the media and thanks to uh, some people, not everyone, but some people on the left, is a lot of psychological manipulation. And so we've been made to believe by the mainstream media that the past four years have been a very dark, dark season in American history. Actually, Don Lemon of CNN said that, that it's been very difficult for him and all of the other journalists to cover this dark period in American history and that the Obama presidency was just this bright and sunny time that everyone got along, everyone loved each other, the economy was booming, our relations uh, with our allies was wonderful, and America just had this amazing reputation abroad, when that's just not true. I mean, as we've talked about, as the New York Times said, Obama saw oversaw the slowest economic recovery in American history. Yes, he record, he uh, he inherited uh, some economic recovery after the collapse in 2008, but it was the slowest economic recovery that we'd seen. The intersectionality, the uh, identity politics, the critical race theory, the Marxism is seen in organizations like BLM. That all started under Obama. We've gone through the various Pew Research polls, the Gallup polls that shows how far to the left Democrats have moved on every economic issue and on every social issue, especially when it comes to their idea of racism and sexism and discrimination, whereas Republicans really haven't moved at all on these issues. We have looked at the data of that. I can include the links in the description to this podcast in case you missed that from a couple weeks ago. That happened mostly while Barack Obama was president. So the division that we are feeling might have been uncovered, maybe in some ways exacerbated by Donald Trump. It did not start under Donald Trump. It was bad under Barack Obama. But the media would like us to believe that he had a scandal-free presidency. He didn't. I mean, we had Benghazi. We had Fast and Furious. We had the IRS scandal where the IRS, under uh, under Lois Lerner, I believe that it was, was targeting Christian conservative organizations. And so we had plenty of scandals under Barack Obama, but the media wants to engage in psychological warfare and make you think that Barack Obama was our most wonderful and effective president, when just objectively he was not. Joe Biden also, according to our previous national security advisor, said that Joe Biden has been on the wrong side of every foreign policy issue for the 47 years of his political career. And so the media now making us feel like we are going into this time of unity and love and peace and prosperity it's gaslighting. Again, it's manipulation. They're playing with your emotions and your feelings. When in fact, uh, under under President Trump, no matter what you think about his personality, some of his personal choices and his rhetoric, he was objectively one of the most positively consequential presidents in history. It's just true. The way that his deregulation and tax cuts helped accelerate our economic recovery and bring unemployment to record lows. The way that he has orchestrated peace deals in the Middle East. And no matter what people like Chris Hayes tell you, those are consequential. They're not just a formality, as we talked about in our foreign policy episode a few weeks ago. Both his domestic and foreign policy has been, at least from a conservative perspective, objectively, for the most part, very good. Uh, His judicial nominations, not just in the Supreme Court, but just in the federal judiciary in general, have been very good from a conservative perspective. The way that his administration has protected free speech, has protected the freedom of religion, 
the way that they have gone against Planned Parenthood in some of their Title X uh, reforms, the way that they have stood up for the life of the unborn. From a conservative perspective, again, a very positively consequential presidency where objectively Joe Biden's or Barack Obama's wasn't. And we have no reason to think that Joe Biden's will be either. And in fact, based on a lot of his policy proposals, as we have looked at over the past 12 weeks, we have a good reason to be concerned about his leadership and be concerned about how positively effective he will be. Um, And so... That's 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 where we are. And and I just want you to be aware of the psychological manipulation that is going on in trying to play with your emotions into making you believe that the Obama era was wonderful and sunny and that the Joe Biden era will be, too, when that just wasn't the reality under Barack Obama. It's probably not going to be the reality under Joe Biden, as I'll talk about in a minute. I want Joe Biden to do well. I want him if If it turns out that officially he is the president, then I want him to succeed. And like I said, I'll I'll talk about that in in just a second. But I don't have any indication that that'll happen. Uh, I, I just don't. And, you know, speaking of psychological warfare... Pfizer has now said that they have their vaccine ready. And of course, uh, the stock market is doing very well in light of that news. That timing was obviously strategic. They didn't want to give President Trump any credit. They didn't want the market to be affected while President Trump was still president. They didn't want people to feel like things could go back to normal because of President Trump, uh, President Trump's work. But under Operation Warp Speed, thanks to the president, a vaccine has been developed under Pfizer and uh, through Pfizer. And President Trump will be able to take credit for that. But I guarantee you the media will say that this is uh, Joe Biden's work, that it is actually his administration that did this. And look, things are already looking up. Things are already better. I saw um, an article recently that said indoor concerts are actually fine. I saw another article in the Daily Mail that said scientists say that coronavirus is overblown. So already you see the narrative changing. That look, things are looking up just because Joe Biden has been elected. He's not even president yet. It's emotional manipula- uh, manipulation. It's psychological warfare. It is important for you to remind yourself on a daily basis that two and two is four, not five. For you to actually make a list of the things that are happening right now, the list of the things that happened under Donald Trump, the things that happened under Barack Obama, so you can keep a record of history, so you can have an accurate memory of everything that is going on right now, all the lies that the media has told you, is telling is telling you, and line them up with reality. It's going to be important for posterity. It's going to be important for your own sanity when the media continues to gaslight you. So like I said, if somehow this goes the other direction, if they're successful in their litigation and President Trump ends up being the president, there will be a gigantic meltdown like you have never seen before. Uh, I I can't even imagine. I don't even want to think about it. Um, What I'm praying for is for uh, integrity and honor in our process, that judges would be um, unbiased, that they would be impartial in their decision making, and that justice would be executed no matter what the outcome is. I think that all Americans 
should be able to easily say, look, we want all legal votes counted. We want all illegal votes uh, thrown out. We want any fraud to be found out and rooted out. And we want justice to be served. That really shouldn't be controversial or partisan at all. Now, if Joe Biden, once and for all, after all of this, ends up being our rightful president, then uh, we have to trust as Christians that that is God's will. Now, I understand some people don't want to hear that. They don't like to hear that. And I totally understand that. I will address those concerns. That's something that we are going to kind of break down. God's sovereign will, which cannot be thwarted, and God's moral will, which can be broken as we see throughout scripture. But whoever is the president and the vice president, we do trust in God's sovereignty that he did institute them and that he did set them up. And there's biblical support for that. Daniel 2, 20 through 22. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. He is all powerful. First Peter 2 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Job 42, 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So all the governing authorities are instituted by God. We are called to honor them and obey them in so far as doing so does not cause us to sin against God. Because as Romans 13 says, their authority comes from God. And as Romans 13 and 1 Peter says, uh, their job is to punish the wrongdoer and give praise to those who do good. But when they redefine what is bad and they redefine what is good, they are disobeying the authority that comes from God. And we are not called to obey wickedness. We are not called to obey sinful mandates. We see that in scripture. The Hebrew midwives did not honor the edict to kill firstborn sons. If we were called to do that, we wouldn't do it. Daniel did not honor the ban on prayers. Uh, if we were called not to pray or not to worship, we wouldn't do it. Shadrach, or we wouldn't obey it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow to Nebuchadnezzar. If we were told to bow down to an idol, we would not do it. And thankfully, in the United States, we live in a government that is supposed to be of the people, for the people, by the people. The law of our land, the highest authority is the U.S. Constitution. Even our president is supposed to be subject to the Constitution. That's why we have a republic. That's why the founders set up these checks and balances. That is why it is so crucial for Republicans to hold the majority in the Senate, as we will talk about more in just a little bit. As John Knox said, resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. And I firmly believe that John Knox was a Scottish reformer, amazing man of God. Tyrants, uh, leaders who seek to control the lives of their people who oppress them with heavy taxes, for example, or just unrealistic and burdensome regulations who limit their liberty are misusing the authority that they have from the Lord. They're perverting 
justice, real biblical justice. They are oppressing their people, which ends in suffering, not just for Christians, but for everyone of any faith in any demographic. And so we resist them when they try to impose evil. And we take any legal means necessary to check their power. But all of that said, we still pray for our leaders. Absolutely. I already have been praying for Biden and Kamala. Again, the fat lady hasn't sung yet. And so we don't know absolutely everything. Um, We don't know exactly how the outcome is going to go. Even so, in this period, I have prayed for Biden and Kamala, and I will continue to if they are the rightful president and vice president. I've prayed, number one, that they would come to know the Lord. I pray the same thing for President Trump, uh, that somehow they would lead the country in righteousness and goodness, which would literally take the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, which he is totally capable of doing. So we submit to our leaders as much as we righteously can. We trust in God's will. And let me explain Let me explain that God's sovereign will versus his moral will. So God's sovereign will, according to scripture, cannot be changed. It cannot be thwarted. Uh, Nothing can go against it. Nothing happens outside of it. As Matthew 10 says, the verse that we quote so often, not even the sparrows fall from the sky apart from their father's will, apart from God's will. Daniel 4.35. Daniel 4 is a great chapter to be reading right now. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. So again, Job 42.2, nothing can thwart what God wants to do. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalms 115.3. Uh, but anytime that we do something he commands us not to do, In scripture, we do go against his moral will. So we bear the responsibility for the choices that we make. And we see this throughout scripture from ancient Israel all the way to the New Testament, that God has a moral will that we are to ascribe to, God uh, subscribe to. God calls certain actions, desires, thoughts sinful, and we are not to do them. And we are to pursue the holiness that he calls holy. So that means that while, for example, the murder of unborn babies, denying the reality of biology, the breakdown of the nuclear family that God set up in Genesis, none of those things are in his moral will. None of those things please him. They make him very angry as all evil does. Uh, The leaders who support these things are only um, instituted or not instituted, though, according to his sovereign will. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will. Things happen every second outside of God's moral will, which is exactly why he has made a way for rebels like you and me to be forgiven of the infringements upon his moral will and live with him forever through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So if we are saved by grace through faith in him, our sins are wiped away forever. Every time that we have infringed upon God's moral will, we are forgiven for all of that. And if not, if we are not saved by grace through faith in Christ, we bear the eternal wrath and punishment for our sins. Now, if you're a thoughtful person, you might be thinking, okay, if God is totally sovereign, if he does everything that he wants, well, why doesn't he just stop people from breaking his moral will? Like, why does he allow sin and wickedness to happen if he is totally in in charge and he can do absolutely anything that he wants to do? That's a really good question. And you are not the first person to ask this. Apparently, Christians in Rome uh, were asking this as well. So we can go to Romans 9, if you will, as a Calvinist. Of course, this is one of our favorite passages. 
This passage is speaking about salvation of both the Jews and the Gentiles through Christ. Uh, Paul explains, look, God has mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy, and he hardens the heart of whomever he wants uh, to to harden the hearts of. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. He uh, made it to where Pharaoh, from his heart, was making the decisions that he was making and not letting God's people go. Verse 16 of Romans 9 says that this shows that salvation is up to God's mercy, not up to our effort. Of course, this is reiterated uh, throughout the New Testament. So this speaks to this question then, though. Uh, How can God hold us responsible for decisions that ultimately he is still in charge of and could change if he wanted to, since he is sovereign over everything and can do anything he wants? Well, here's how Paul answers what I believe to be a very good question, uh, starting in verse 19 of Romans 9. Uh, The Holy Spirit through Paul says this, You will say to me then, why does he find fault? For who can resist his, God's, will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? So that's basically Paul's answer. Uh, Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? So basically, God through Paul is saying, look, God is God and God does what he wills, whatever he wills for his own glory. We don't know why God allows all the things that he does. We don't know why it seems that wickedness at times prevails, except that he promises in uh, various places, but in specifically Romans 8, 28, that all things, yes, even bad leadership work together for the good of those who love him. And we know that in the end, he will claim complete victory, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is placing all of his enemies under his feet. Psalm 37 says this, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So perhaps God endures wickedness to show his power and his glory once and for all. Honestly, it is hard for me. I'm not saying that this is an easy concept. It's hard for me to understand why some terrible, terrible things happen. I mean, it's one thing to think about it in a general sense. Yeah, war, famine, persecution, all that happens. But when you think about the specific people, the children, the babies, the the Christians, the vulnerable people who are harmed by other people's wickedness, by tyranny, it's very hard to understand how a good God allows that. I get it. If that is something that you struggle with, I get it. But I take comfort in the fact that our sovereign God does not let, will not let wickedness go unpunished, that he is not just waiting idly by and just allowing evil to flourish, that he will take care of it. He promises vengeance and he asks us to trust in that and we will get to watch him claim victory. That's what he promises and that is what I take comfort in, that he is not going to let evil go unpunished. So all that to say, it was part of God's sovereign will for Obama to be president, for Trump to be president, for Biden to be president, if the litigation doesn't change anything, even if they represent policies or personality traits or choices that go against his moral will. So that means as Christians, we have an obligation to pray for them and honor them as our leaders, um, but to push back on any evil policy that they try to implement. 
I truly want Joe Biden, if he is officially our president, to lead this country well. I love this country. Uh, My patriotism does not wax or wane based on who is president, unlike as we saw from the Gallup poll a a few weeks ago. Uh, Democrats' patriotism does. I love America because of the idea and the ideal upon which she was founded that I believe to be the greatest idea and ideal for government that the world has ever seen. No country has made as much progress as quickly as we have. We have had dark decisions made. We have had dark and corrupt and terrible and inhumane seasons uh, in our history as every country in the history of the world has, but no country has righted their wrongs as well or as quickly as we have. So I want Biden to be a fantastic president because I love this country and I love the people in this country. And as Jeremiah 29 says, we should be wanting and praying for and working toward the welfare of our country, every demographic in this country. I would love Joe Biden to bring us together. I want us to appeal to our so-called better angels and to be able to have constructive discussions and debates disagreements about policy issues, about cultural issues, while still agreeing on the fundamentals. The problem is we don't seem to agree on the fundamentals at all. And I think it's very important that we're honest about this, that we take an honest assessment of where we are ideologically in this country. I read the Pew Research studies a few weeks ago that showed us how different uh, we are, uh, the Republicans and Democrats, on our perspective uh, on things like religion and morality, Democrats are vastly more secular than the Republican Party with a the a huge share, the lion's share of atheists and agnostics. Democrats, um, uh, Democrats believe that racism and sexism are rampant and institutionalized in America. Most Republicans do not. Democrats view the Constitution. And I think these are all fair assessments, by the way as as malleable and most of the time is inconvenient to their goals. Republicans don't see it that way. Democrats view patriotism as conditional to who is in charge and what's going on, and Republicans don't. Most Democrats believe gender is a choice and that children should be able to choose their gender independent of their parents' guidance. Most Republicans and conservatives don't. Democrats believe via the Equality Act that biological boys who identify as girls should be able to share locker rooms and bathrooms and play on sports teams with girls. Most Republicans don't believe that. Democrats, via the Equality Act, are increasingly of the position that religious liberty only extends to privately held beliefs in your mind and should not affect the things that you say or do or how you conduct your business or even how you teach or preach. Again, you can see the Equality Act for that, and you can look at the various legal cases against vendors in the past few years who refuse to cater to, for example, same-sex weddings. Democrats push for what I view as radical sex education for children in school, like we just saw in a measure passed in Washington state and in California. Most Republicans don't want that. Most Democrats think the Second Amendment is problematic and needs to be reined in as much as possible. Most Republicans don't believe that. Democrats have now advocated for packing the Supreme Court and abolishing the Electoral College, whereas most Republicans think that we should continue living in a republic and that the middle of the country should be fairly represented rather than living in a pure democracy, which the founders believed had and knew had never worked throughout history. So we have different, uh, very different views, fundamentally different views on the roles of government, on health care, on immigration policy, on, on these policies. Yes, we can compromise, but we disagree again um, 
on the fundamentals of these things. In order to come together in any way, we have to, at the very least, come together on this, that the idea of America, that we are a republic for the people, by the people, of the people, with God-given rights to life, liberty, and happiness recognized by the Constitution, that this idea is good and must be protected and upheld. If we can't agree on that, then we don't have any cohesive structure in which to unite. Uh, We're not going to be able to unite with the side in any meaningful way that believes that America is fundamentally bad, that the Constitution is an inconvenience, that everything needs to be torn down in order to be rebuilt into a socialist utopia. We cannot unite if we continue to regard each other primarily by people's membership and oppression groups, by their race or gender or socioeconomic status. Uh, That particular trend came to us, like I said, via the Obama administration and has torn our country apart. We cannot unite with the side who believes that conservatives are Nazis, And have no interest in understanding at all what we believed, which happens to be what people have believed for centuries, if not millennia. We just, it's not possible. It's it's just not possible. That doesn't mean that we have to hate leftists who don't understand us at all. I I don't want that. But in order to have any kind of meaningful unity and to move forward in any kind of cohesive way, like we're gonna have to find some common ground. The fact is, is that Kamala and Biden represent the leftism that is now beginning to dominate the Democratic Party. And the very nature of that leftism, as we have talked about and explained so many times on this podcast, is destruction, deconstruction and division. Leftism as an ideology does not govern. It builds passion and it can tear down and it can make you angry and it can make you feel things, but it does not build. It does not unite. It does not reconcile. You cannot show me one example throughout history of a left wing revolution ending in love and freedom and equality and liberation rather than in division and poverty and suffering because it doesn't exist. It cannot happen. It's not in its nature. Uh, everything happening right now, especially through Antifa, Black Lives Matter and so much of the the social justice rhetoric that we are seeing from the left and in the Democratic Party right now mirrors the Bolshevik Revolution. We see reflections of Pol Pot's Year Zero and Kamar Rouge, the very beginnings of it, by the way. Now, I'm hoping that none of that could ever happen here, but it's the same kind of, they're the same kind of proposals. It's the same kind of rhetoric. Uh, We see bits of the French Revolution. We see Mao's Great Leap Forward. We see East Germany, the Cuban Revolution, the Venezuelan Revolution. We've talked about these things so many times. Uh, Read Rod Dreher's book, Live Not by Lies. Listen to my episode with him from a couple weeks ago. We don't have to be ignorant about this. All right, guys, one more break to tell you about a fund rise. So you've probably heard this phrase, a diversified portfolio, that it's important for you to have a diversified portfolio, stocks and bonds and mutual funds, that kind of thing. But you will see in the most successful portfolios, a diversified set of real estate. But that's typically not the first asset class that you consider when you are looking to diversify. But it should be. And Fundrise is making it as easy as possible to do that. They make it easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or you are looking to add more to what you already have, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. And here is how it works. It's an investing platform that makes investing in high quality, high potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. Whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth or appreciation, 
Fundrise has you covered. Uh, Fundrise manages more than $1 billion in assets for 130,000 plus investors. Since 2014, Fundrise has averaged 87 to 12.4% annual returns and investors have earned more than $79 million in dividends alone, which is pretty incredible. And so you really have nothing to lose uh, with this. Make sure that you uh, go to fundrise.com slash relatable to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That's a really good deal. First 90 days of your advisory fees waived. Uh, that is fundrise.com slash relatable. Fundrise.com slash relatable. So we've we've seen this before. When a political party or the people in power, they create the problems and then present themselves as the solution to the problems. And that's what we're seeing in a political party that teaches people to view each other on the basis of skin color, their economic class, their gender, their religion, while simultaneously presenting itself as the thing that's going to bring us together. So it's calling for unity while also stoking division. And the solutions that it has is always more money and power to the government. And isn't that convenient? And that's how it always goes. Money and power, they promise that they will use to take care of the poor and the marginalized that they never do. They just use to get more authority and power. This is how leftism plays out. It always has. It cannot change. It's not in its nature. You want to know the reason why um, it's Democrats who support the redefinition of gender as we see on a daily basis in their proposals and their rhetoric, the pronouns that they put in their bio like Kamala Harris has, the dismantling of the nuclear family, as BLM explicitly told us on their website, sex education for children that includes all kinds of perversion, as we just saw in a measure in Washington, for protecting animals and plants more than unborn babies, as we just saw in a measure in Colorado, for the legalization of prostitution, as Kamala Harris has said that she is, because leftism seeks to deconstruct. That's what it is. It believes hierarchies are inherently evil, that social constructs must be obliterated, and all social norms are bad and all unequal outcomes are unjust. And so it seeks to tear down the hierarchies and institutions, but has nothing but imaginative utopian communism to put in its place, which never works. It's never worked. How do I know this? Because I can look at the 20th century. It's not a mystery. We don't have to know or, or we don't have to we don't have to guess. We can know. We know how this ends. Uh, when Kamala Harris says equity means equal outcomes, we know what that leads to. That's the same thing that Mao said and Pol Pot said and Chavez said and Castro said too. And look, you do need some progressivism in culture. You need progressivism and conservatism. Conservatism has to be there to hold the good things together and to stand for the institutions like the nuclear family and the church and the electoral college and the constitution that have created a good and cohesive society, the Western rule of law, law and order. And you need progressivism to challenge the norms and the institutions that actually aren't good, but that maybe some people are holding on to for no good reason. But deconstructing everything that has created and held together and made societies thrive is not good. They say that all social uh, constructs are bad and must be challenged and deconstructed. But look, human beings create social constructs so we can live. Like we, we necessitate social constructs. All human beings for all of creation have had a social order. There's a reason human beings created times and clocks and calendars and names for seasons. Why for millennia we have regarded humanity as male and female. There was never any confusion about that. Why we have families and tribes and cultures. We need organization. 
So we have to conserve that which societies need to survive and thrive. Not everything needs to be questioned and deconstructed and broken down. That's why leftism doesn't build. It is an okay complement to conservatism, but when it dominates, all it does is go scorched earth. And that's not good. That's why it always ends terribly. Um, And a lot of people don't want unity. And this is where we're going to end. Um, I have a lot more to say, but I'll I'll try to wrap it up because I know that we've already kind of gone long. But a lot of people don't want unity. We're hearing calls for unity. We're hearing calls to come together. We are hearing um, them say, you know what, now's the time that we just need to have peace, even though they've been calling us fascists for the past for the past four years and have been saying that everyone who voted for him is just terrible and awful. They have made no effort towards any kind of unity or peace or kindness over the past four years. But now that they've gotten their way, now there are benevolent dictators. That's so sweet. Here's what Michelle Obama said. Let's remember that tens of thousands of people voted for the status quo, even when it meant uh, supporting lies, hate, chaos, and division. We've got a lot of work to do to reach out to these folks in the years ahead and connect with them on what unites us. Classic Obama. That is a classic Obama. You say something that sounds unifying and loving, but within it, you are lacing in condemnation and condescension. That is exactly what Obama did for his eight years of his presidency. He and Michelle are still up to it now. Yes, let's come together. And by the way, everyone who voted for Donald Trump voted for hate and lies and division and chaos. No interest whatsoever in understanding why we did not want to vote for Joe Biden. Like, no interest in that at all. It's never about a difference in policies. It's always about love versus hate for them. And it just happens to be that anyone is a conservative who happens to hold to the things that have made this country good and great for so long. They're all hateful. It's interesting how that works. So how are we supposed to unite with people who regard us in that way, who have no interest in understanding the policy positions or the fears and concerns that we have? It's, it's not possible. They don't want to hear that, hey, the reason why we voted for Donald Trump, even though he is uh, imperfect, is because we liked the record unemployment, because we like the freedom to be able to protect ourselves and our families with whatever uh, guns we see fit. We like religious liberty. We like strong foreign policy that creates peace in the Middle East, helps Israel and is tough on our enemies. We don't like defunding the police. We don't like uh, being led by people who encourage and enable riots. We don't like identity politics that your husband, Michelle Obama, shoved in our faces for eight years. There are lots of reasons why people voted for Donald Trump that have nothing to do with hate, division, and chaos. We could just as easily say the Democratic Party is the party of those things. They're the party of riots and chaos and instability. But people vote for Democrats for legitimate reasons. And so when we say that you're only voting for Donald Trump because you're a hateful racist bigot and you don't take any time to address or to understand the real concerns that we have for ourselves and for our families and for the country in general, that there's no way that we can unite around that. I'm not going to unite around a false characterization of me and what I care about. So sure, we can we can unite, but we're going to have to come together on some fundamentals. And you're going to have to stop saying that anyone who believes in the First and Second Amendment, who believes in free speech or religious liberty and your right to defend yourself is a fascist. Like you're probably going to have to cut that out 
if you want us to really come together and have, but I understand, I understand you're going to call for unity finally for the first time in four years. And then when we refuse to unify because you refuse to uh, stop mischaracterizing us, then you're going to say we are the ones causing the division. It's amazing. It's amazing manipulation. It's a really clever strategy. Speaking of fascism, let us look at some of the people who uh, we are supposed to be uniting with. Um, There are some suggestions on Twitter, not by random people, mind you, but mainstream people in the Democratic Party, uh, uh, in the media and in left wing activism saying that, hey, uh, we need to we need to make a list. Robert Reich said that we need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, Secretary of Labor under Bill Clinton. Truth and Reconciliation Commission is something like they had in South Africa in the 90s after the apartheid to hold uh, the the white majority accountable for the crimes against humanity that they did. Um, it's a similar kind of thing to or similar kind of movement that they tried to do in Zimbabwe. What that ended in is violence and discrimination and hatred against white people. And the people who have actually taken charge in South Africa have done a terrible job. And it's completely corrupt. South Africa is not a good place to live. It has not come together. It's more racist and divided than ever uh, because resentment-fueled revolutions never work. You never work. You can't uh, unite in the name of resentment. But Chris Hayes of MSNBC is also suggesting a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, Blue checkmarks Jeffrey Vagel, Brandon Friedman, Quinn Cummings, Trey Graham, Susan Glasser of The New Yorker, the outlet uh, in The Times, the outlet The Nation, the Philadelphia Inquirer, Salon. They all made the exact same suggestion that Trump supporters and Trump need to be held accountable for supporting the guy that we don't like, that we need to be, I don't know, put in front of a tribunal and we need to be made to agree with their definition of truth and we need to be re-educated and convinced of and show support of their ideology in order for us to come together. Now, most of these people, of course, couldn't define truth if you asked them, but we are supposed to latch on to their definition of truth. It's pretty incredible. Steve Schmidt says that Trump, his campaign staff, and his lawyers should pay, quote, a brutal price for betraying the American ideal. What is the American ideal, according to Democrats? I'd love to know. AOC asked this very innocent question on Twitter. Is anyone archiving these Trump sycophants for when they try to downplay or deny their complicity in the future. I foresee a decent probability of many deleted tweets, writings, photos in the future. Huh, I wish history had something to tell us about combining socialism with resentment, especially political resentment. I want how gosh, how is that how has that worked out? It's it's escaping me. It's escaping me. I'm sure that it's worked out very very well. The corpses in the 20th century would probably agree. Marxist going to Marxist though. Um, but uh, former Pete Buttigieg staffers replied to her, you better believe it, says Hari Savugan, a former Pete Buttigieg staffer. We just launched the Trump Accountability Project to make sure anyone who took a paycheck to help Trump uh, undermine America is held responsible for what they did. He also says Caitlin Collins of CNN just reported the White House staff are starting to look for jobs. Employers considering them should know that there are consequences says the fascist, consequences for hiring anyone who helped Trump attack American values. Is it an American value to be a fascist? I, this, this, you want to know what fascism is? This is intimidating people uh, with real life consequences because they don't agree with you politically.
Find out how at the Trump Accountability Project, he says, former, o- former Obama staffer Michael Simon replied in a similar fashion. Yes, we are, he says to AOC, the Trump Accountability Project. Every administration, officer, campaign staffer, bundler, lawyer who represented them, everyone. They literally have a list of these people. Amazing, amazing. Another Buttigieg staffer, Emily Abrams, says this on Twitter. We're launching the Trump Accountability Project to make sure anyone who took a paycheck to help Trump undermine America is held responsible for what they did. Wow. Wow. And so they want to call us the fascists because what? Like we believe in free speech. We believe that you should be able to say what you want to say. Like we believe that you should be able to worship or not worship how you see fit. Like because we believe in Uh, We believe in the Second Amendment that you should be able to defend yourself how you see fit because we believe in deregulation, low taxes, the Constitution, the Electoral College. Like, what is it? What is it exactly? But this is fine. This kind of political intimidation is fine. As Ronald Reagan said, if fascism comes to the United States, it will come in the name of liberalism. Here we are. Here we are. But unity, guys, unity. What are they going to do about the 70 million of us? who voted for Donald Trump and who believe that Donald Trump did a lot of great things for America and are not going to buy into their definition of of truth and morality. We didn't do this, by the way, when Obama left office. And I guarantee you, we believe Obama to be just as destructive policy-wise and even rhetorically as you guys think Trump is. And we didn't do this. But again, how how is it that we are the fascists and you're not? Jennifer Rubin. Who? Any are now promoting rejection of an election or calling to not follow the will of the voters or making baseless allegations of fraud should never serve in office as the person who ran with the Russian collusion theory for four years. Um, should never serve in office, join a corporate board, find a faculty position or be accepted into polite society. We have a list. Evan McMullen, some of you people voted for him in 2016, as you have revealed to me in Instagram messages. Um, We should keep and publish a list of everyone who assists Trump's frivolous and dangerous attacks on the election. Name and shame forever. Don Winslow, an author. Here's my 2021 New Year's resolution early. Nobody gets off that helped Trump. Nobody. Again, Chris Hayes said that Trump needs to be held accountable and the GOP, by the way, for having already gotten a shocking number of people killed and are going to get more killed. Now, this is the same person, along with all the leftist media, who have nothing to say about the riots, the super spreader events, nothing to say about mass protests, mass marches, uh, praise the people celebrating in the streets after Biden's win. Uh, Those aren't Trump supporters. Trump didn't tell those people to go out. I mean, honestly, the numbers are just as bad, if not worse. And the Democratic runs that he's in states. Trump doesn't have jurisdiction over everyone's life and the regulations that the states and localities uh, put in place. So, again, this is just a farcical argument. And these people are so hypocritical because they don't want you to go to church. They don't want kids to be in school. They don't want you to just live a normal life, but they think it's totally fine if you are in a maskless mosh pit in the street celebrating Joe Biden's win. It's really it's really amazing. Let's watch just a couple clips really fast of Biden supporters rallying in the streets after the media projected him as a winner.
saw a video of a girl. I tweeted it. It's on my timeline. Taking down her mask, drinking some champagne, passing the bottle to another person so they can drink the champagne and then pulling her mask back up. Perfect depiction of much of liberal lo- uh, logic on coronavirus. Um, you have some people saying, oh, hopefully those people are wearing masks. That's not how masks work, by the way. If COVID actually spreads the way that scientists say that it does, mosh pits with a mask on, even if they're wearing a mask, are far more dangerous than you sitting at, in church without a mask, like just with your family or you sitting at a restaurant or uh, kids being in school at their desk or playing outside? Are you going to a funeral for your family member? Are you holding uh, your your wedding or holding your mother's hand uh, as she died? All of that is much safer than the rallies, than the uh, riots, than the mosh pits that we are seeing of these woke people. It's all duplicitous gaslighting. It's all malice. Remember, two plus two makes four. You got to write this stuff down. You got to chronicle this stuff. You got to remember reality when they try to tell you that reality has changed. Um, I do think that Biden has said some good things so far. I think that he does want to unify. I think that he uh, needs to get his house in order, though. They obviously don't want to unify with us. They obviously hate Trump supporters. They hate the 70 million Americans that voted for him. And they think that we need to be, quote, held accountable for having a different political view. It's gaslighting. It's insane. It's insane. In order to keep yourself sane, you have to remind yourself of reality. You can't let yourself be psychologically manipulated. And you have to be, gosh, we got to be in the truth of God's word because that is the realest reality that we have. When they try to tell you that gender has been redefined, the sexuality and biology has been redefined, when they try to change the news and memory hold the things that they said five minutes ago, when they try to tell us uh, a different rendering of history than we know to be true, we have to cling to what is factually true, uh, the data-driven truth, and most importantly, what is eternally true. Truth is the only thing that is going to anchor us right now. So when people, for example, they get mad at you for telling the truth about, you know, for example, what Kamala Harris has done in the way of abortion legislation. And they say, oh, you know, that's not important right now. We just need to be celebrating the fact that she is a woman of color. That kind of vapid emotionalism is not going to be what anchors you and holds you down. It's really amazing the number of Christian women that I'm seeing celebrate that as if your anatomy and your melanin count matters more than your her ghoulish delight in the murder of unborn children that has been demonstrated throughout her career. I mean, I talked about this on Instagram. I won't get into it right now, all the policies that she has pushed. I've talked about it so many times and I'll talk about it again. Um, but it's just amazing. If you don't ground yourself in what is true and what is good and right and true according to scripture, According to reality, then you are going to lose your mind. You're going to let yourself get manipulated. Remember, guys, we're supposed to be human salmon. We're supposed to be swimming upstream, not going downstream with the culture. And so resist the manipulation, resist the lying, resist the deceit, resist the emotionalism and cling to what is true. Okay, that's all I got. I know this is a long episode. Donate to Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue in Georgia. And for the love of all that is good, if you are in Georgia, Vote Republican in the Senate races and convince everyone else to as well. I'll have more on that soon. Okay, I'll be back here on Wednesday. 